All right, joining us for a chat is Elizabeth Smith-McCrossan, independent MLA for the riding of Cumberland North. Elizabeth, uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, New Year to you, Todd. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm well. Yourself? Good. Thank you for all that you do and giving people a voice. I appreciate that very much. All right. Yeah. So, uh, kind of looking, uh, kind of looking ahead. Here we are. I mean, you've been an independent MLA now, going on what? This will be your. This will be the third year. Yeah, that's right. Going into the third year. All right. So, as an independent MLA, what? What has surprised you, or, or has anything surprised you? Is it is it perhaps not what you thought it might be, better than you thought it might be? What can you tell us about this role? Well, thank you for the question. Uh, honestly, it's been very refreshing because there's a lot less conflict in my life. Uh, I'm able to truly represent the people, be the voices of the people that elected me, and not have uh, anyone uh, saying no, we need to protect the party brand or focus more on what's best for the party. There's there's no conflict anymore around that, Todd. Um, I'm able to really focus on representing the people of Cumberland North, and that's, that's my job, and now I can do it freely without without the stress. And you've been busy. You presented and, and, and uh, quite a few uh, bills uh, along the way. Have you also, you've, you've been busy in the ledge. Yeah, it's wonderful. Like last year alone, I tabled 25 bills, all bills uh, that reflected what the people of Cumberland North and actually other people from around the province have been contacting me, asking me to bring forth. And I uh, every day I actually hear from residents across Nova Scotia because they know that I'm able to be a voice for the people and not have anyone trying to silence me. Or when they do try to silence me, mm-hmm. I don't have to. Um, listen, and and the most recent, of course, is the um, recent decision by the government to um, train emergency medical responders to work with paramedics. And although there's some positives with that, I think the big mistake the government made was not including paramedics in that decision making. They didn't consult the people that are actually frontline workers in emergency medicine here in the province. So I've had um, a lot of paramedics from across the entire province contacting me. Um, confidentially, of course, because they're worried about being yeah. reprimanded if their name was to get out. But that's just uh, one example, Todd. But um, I think it really represents, uh, you know, what I've seen as an independent is the people just want their elected politician to to truly represent them. And the longer that I'm an independent, the more clear it is to me how the current partisan politics just doesn't work for the people. The the focus, too much of the focus is on protecting the party, mm-hmm. protecting the organization. And in that, the people are often second and they shouldn't be. The people should be first. Do you feel that that, that uh, goes across party lines, not just with the progressive conservatives, but the liberals and NDP? Do you think that that's applicable to to all party experience? You know, I would suspect there is an element of that, but my, you know, my experience, of course, is only with the progressive conservative uh, party. So I can't really speak to the other parties mm-hmm. because um, not my experience. But um, I think, in general, you know, we're, when we're looking at politics, both provincially and federally, and even to the south of us uh, in the states, that we're seeing it more and more. And I think there is the people want to see a shift back to true democracy, 
where the people are put first and, the vo- and their voices are um, heard. And, you know, one of the things that every party could do um, that would be easy is allow politicians to vote based on what's best for their people, um, remove the, the role of the whip, remove that position, and truly let people represent the people that elected them, you know, through open votes, uh, let people vote in the legislature what's best for the people. Okay, uh, let's talk a bit about uh, that. Let's drill down into that, uh, the, the paramedic, uh, that, that move. Uh, 2,000 uh, people will be trained in a three-month course. I uh, talked to the uh, to the Minister of Health about this earlier in the week, and uh, she says, look, it's, it's, it's something that, that will work well. It's been done in other provinces. We're not reinventing the wheel. Uh, aside from the lack of consultation, which I agree with you 100%, that's policy making yeah. one on one. I don't think that's debatable. But let's pretend that they that they did some of that. Uh, what are your thoughts on the fact that this has been done elsewhere and it appears to to be a, a pretty good program, or or at least some of those main concerns uh, might not have it might not have come to pass in some of these other jurisdictions. Yeah, I think what they've said is they're going to train two hundred. Um, EMRs over the next two years. Right. And, uh, you know, I've had some people contact me to say, well, how do I apply? That information hasn't been released yet. I think, you know, it goes back to a lot of the concerns and fears that are being communicated to me from paramedics is they don't know what it's going to look like. So, you know, they're all contacting me saying, what if, what if, what if, uh, you know, what about this situation? You know, um, all of them are saying to me the number one issue that's causing the lack of um, delays are the offload delays in our emergency departments. And people are waiting hours and hours, uh, paramedics, two paramedics having to stay with one person on a stretcher. And this, uh, this EMR solution, they did mention that it will help the offload delays, but they didn't clearly state how. So paramedics are asking me, so will the EMR stay with uh, stay with the patient, and then will that leave one paramedic to be in an ambulance to have to attend to emergency 911 calls all alone without having anyone with them? Um, so those details haven't been communicated. Uh, paramedics are already stressed to the max. We're seeing them leave. Uh, the profession in droves, often for lower-paying jobs because of the stress. And the government's decision to bring this forward uh, has created a lot of um, angst. And you keep in mind, Todd, that Mm -hmm. they just signed a contract three weeks ago with their union, and this was not shared. Mm -hmm. The union, I'm assuming, would have known about this. So I'm hearing also uh, people are pretty frustrated also with their union representatives with the representatives as well as the government, because why was this not shared as part of the contract? Uh, Why were they not honest and open with the paramedics of Nova Scotia? They're the frontline workers and they deserve better. But going back to, to your point, Todd, Mm -hmm. um, it hasn't been made clear how they will work in the system. Uh, I will say what I'm hearing from the people I represent in Cumberland and across Nova Scotia is people are waiting uh, too long when they call 911, sometimes up to six hours and or more, and that is not safe either. So there's no question 
that solutions need to be found, but those solutions should be found in collaboration with the frontline healthcare workers, and in this case, the paramedics, but also with our emergency room physicians and emergency room nurses. Um, that's what I'm hearing from the frontline workers. All right. So when it comes to health care, and we're talking about this, the federal Nova Scotia government signed a $355 million three-year bilateral agreement to improve health care services in the province. So more money is always a good thing, I guess. But but some would say that we're not going to solve these problems with simply just by more money, but it certainly doesn't hurt. What 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 are your thoughts, I guess, on on the fixes in the federal government and 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 can money solve our crisis here in this province? Not alone, no. Money alone will not solve the crisis. And you know, I think it it was positive to see our federal and provincial government working together. I was happy to see that announcement yesterday. Uh, but again, we're seeing announcements without actual showing the details. So I had a, a patient who uh, who is well known to me who uh, has a mental illness, and that person contacted me yesterday. Uh, they saw the announcement. And they said, oh, how is this going to help us? You know, what improvements are we going to see? You know, and I had to respond to that pers- patient saying, I don't know. Like, they, they haven't given any details. And, you know, in Cumberland and Colchester, Todd, we have uh, a unique added uh, stress, and that is the effects of port the massacre, uh, there was $18 million allocated to our area for improved mental health services. We haven't seen that. Mm-hmm. Like, we haven't seen any improvements. Our detox, in fact, uh, for people that are struggling with addictions. Has actually decreased in hours. It went from being open seven days a week to five days a week. Mm-hmm. And so instead of seeing improvements in services, we're actually seeing um, decreased hours of services available to people in need. And we're seeing a definite increase in addictions in our area, you know, whether it's from the pandemic or whether it's from the massacre. Um, I don't know if anyone really knows the, the underlying cause, but the bottom line is we need, uh, we need to pivot as a government and immediately start offering people the services they actually need and in, the, in our case, we need improved services for people struggling with addictions. You can't put someone who's living on the street unsheltered uh, when they're ready to get clean. You can't put them in a detox mm-hmm. and then in five days say, oh, sorry, we're closed for the weekend. So now you go back on the street into that same situation where there's, um, you know, they, the only supports they have are people that are selling them drugs. So, you know, we need to be able to pivot faster as a government to meet the needs of the people. Okay, and lastly, we're, we're, we're tight on time here, but non-disclosure uh, agreements, uh, this is uh, something that you've been fighting for. You tabled a bill. Uh, the bill was mm-hmm. uh, was then quashed, I guess, uh, by the government of the day, uh, by Carla McFarland, the, the, the cabinet minister. Uh, so will you revisit this again? Are you going away when it comes to this or are you going to continue to fight this? Yeah, I mean, they kind of responded uh, pretty strongly. If you recall, they actually put forth a motion to remove me. Right. Uh, so, and when that happened, I was contacted by um, 
by constitutional lawyers from across the country saying you need to fight this. This is undemocratic. It's not right. So we're actually doing that in court. I'm paying for all the legal fees myself Mm -hmm. uh, because the notice of motion to remove me still sits on the order paper uh, as I'm assuming they're leaving it there to continue to intimidate and try to threaten me. Um, But this is what happens, Todd, when you actually bring forth issues that are controversial, that are important, they don't, you know, things change does not always come easy. And I think the fact that the government responded uh, pretty strongly, you know, by trying to actually remove me um, shows this issue has a lot of deep uh, consequences. And non-disclosure agreements used in cases of sexual assault are wrong. Fundamentally, there's not a doubt in my mind that they should not be allowed to be used to silence victims. I've known too many uh, over the years, and we're starting to see changes in legislation across the country. We're seeing it uh, in other countries, the United Kingdom, some of the states uh, in the USA, and it's time that we make those changes here in Nova Scotia. Uh, Non-disclosure agreements in cases of sexual assault only help the perpetrator. Mm -hmm. And I have seen personally too often these perpetrators go on to continue to harm. Uh, I'm actually visiting my in-laws in Dartmouth right now. And last night, my mother-in-law watched a show on television that was about Bill Cosby. It's very disturbing, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, the reason I bring that up is this is pervasive in our culture. It's and we need to start making changes. Um, victims of sexual assault, I know, it causes a lot of damage, right. a lot of hurt, a lot yeah. of pain, and it's time to make change. But, you know, the bill I brought forth was quite specific, that NDA shouldn't be allowed to be used uh, to silence victims and political parties. Mm-hmm. And uh, I stand by that, Todd, and mm-hmm. I will continue to advocate for that. And I know... Uh, the NDP have also put forth a bill, and we're, we're not going to give up until the proper changes are made. Okay, appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. You're welcome. Thanks. All right, take care. Elizabeth Smith-McCrossin. When we come back, Silva Charlebois. 